It's been an interesting last five or 10 years. If you think about property management from the way it was and has been historically to where we are today with so much more technology supporting landlords in their venture to find a great uh, property management company. Specifically, you've seen a big change when it comes to Airbnb and the technology surrounding a lot of these Airbnb hosts. Well, we started chatting with a group called Host Genius the better part of six to 12 months ago about uh, where they saw the property management world going. And to be clear, this is not disregarding the traditional property manager one-on-one. -on -one. There is a massive opportunity for those folks in the space. However, the guys here at Host Genius saw the opportunity to provide technology augmented property management focused on midterm, long-term and short-term rentals. And they've so far focused most of their energy on the midterm and short-term space, but they do certainly have a lot of experience to draw on in the long-term space as well. Now, this is a relatively new company. And of course, uh, you know, we thought it was a good idea to have the CEO come on, the founder, uh, Charles, to come on and talk a little bit about what their goals are, what their objectives are, and really just basically a trip around North America and uh, Mexico in certain cities that they targeted as places they might want to consider. Now, if you listen to the podcast, you'll find that there's actually places that they thought they were going to go, decided not to, and certain cities that they've been changing their target focus over to. In any case, it was a great conversation with Charles, and you're really going to enjoy this episode, no doubt about it. I hope you enjoy all the episodes, but this one's got some fantastic nuggets, whether you're a prospective property manager or someone who has managed properties for years, maybe you find out something you didn't know about a different market. Now, of course, one thing we'd like to remind all y'all is this actual episode and, and podcast is sponsored by Thrive Mortgage Co. That's us here, Dean, Derek, myself, and our entire incredible team of advisors have been focusing our time and energy on how to provide people with better financing experiences, whether that's buying your first home, upsizing, learning how to strategize to buy a second or a rental property, or anything else construction related. We are here to help and support you. Just make sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. and send us a message or Thrive mortgage.ca if you'd like to learn more. This episode here today with Charles, again, is a banger. You're going to love it. And of course, we'd love that you leave us some feedback by sharing out the podcast on your Instagram, Facebook, anything else, and leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes and Spotify. That's it for me. Enjoy the episode. We'll see you on the other side and we'll talk to you soon. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Welcome, 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 Mr. Charles. Nice to have you on here today from uh, Mexico, I understand. Is that where you are today? Yeah, Mexico City. Mexico City. So what's the weather like in Mexico City right now? About 16 degrees. 16 degrees. Cold, like, is, is it like a, a dry 16 degrees, a little bit wet there, rainy? What's the weather like in the summer in Mexico City? Thunderstorms. So rainy, okay. humid. Awesome. So you were telling me something that I didn't know yesterday. You let me know in Mexico City in particular uh, does not actually get nearly as hot as the coastal regions and generally speaking has much more mild uh, climate. Was that right? At least this time of the year. It's my first time, second day. And people here are probably wondering why the heck are we talking about Mexican si Mexico City and what's going on there? Um, we are talking about Mexico City because you're doing a little bit of pre-scouting, a little bit of work down there in Mexico, having a look at 
what different types of real estate opportunities there are as it pertains to landlords, property management, and rentals out there. It sounds like it was a beneficial trip so far, but I don't want to start just jumping right into it right away. We'll we'll have a little bit of a, uh, a run through as to who the heck you are and why we're even talking about these conversations here today. So Charles, um, you are the CEO and founder of a uh, tech-enabled property management company called Host Genius. And I think we had the pleasure of meeting maybe six or 12 months ago through a mutual friend uh, and uh, right away uh, it was a it was a pretty cool conversation we had a chance to talk about obviously what host genius is trying to do and how they're trying to change the way property management works in well Canada potentially the US and even further down to uh, North America and Mexico um, hey Charles give us a once-over what the heck is host genius and what are you guys trying to accomplish right now host genius summed it up quite well a tech enabled property management company what exactly that means um, our big goal here is to basically bring people from using spreadsheets to manage their real estate to using software, uh, opening up more opportunities in different markets and giving people more insights to more investment opportunities, while at the same time offering more flexibility on the property management side, whether that's long-term rentals, short-term rentals, or a new emerging side, midterm corporate immigration uh, and relocation rentals. What's the gap that Host Genius provides, generally speaking, as it pertains to property management itself? I would say the big gap that we're trying to provide is a somewhat all-in-one solution where you don't have to go to multiple vendors for different types of rental solutions. Um, so a lot of our clientele are diverse with their portfolio. They own long-term rentals. They are own short-term rentals. They have a principal residence where they're looking for a mortgage support as well. Uh, and they're looking at the midterm rental side as well to remain in markets where they were traditionally cash flow negative. Uh, bringing that option all in one while providing the transparency is, is what we're tackling at the moment. Very cool, very cool. And you know, that's not to say that there's anything wrong or, or any, any, there's not going to be a market for the typical one-off property manager. I think there's still gonna be a massive market for those folks out there, but you guys are looking to obviously fill a different gap uh, altogether. And the neat thing in our conversation is, is this last couple of years of you working in the uh, online tech-enabled property management space has allowed you different opportunities to look into a variety of different markets. And so uh, a big part of our conversation today will be to discuss uh, your experiences so far to date uh, in a few of these different markets so that people listening to the podcast and understand where some opportunities and some challenges could be um, in these different places. Now, uh, places that we've discussed, you've done a, a few trips through and done some research include uh, a couple of different cities in Mexico. We've got uh, U.S., predominantly Scottsdale, Arizona area, which has obviously been heavily talked about all over the place uh, in the last little while. And then uh, different markets and submarkets in Vancouver, Kelowna, Vancouver Island, and so forth. So I think what would be really interesting would be, you know, to kind of start off and talk about, you know, why why are you doing looking at these different cities in general? Like, what's the point in you traveling to check out these different uh, cities and communities? So one of the biggest opportunities we want to provide to our clients is the option to continue to diversify their portfolio. We've spent most of our time, and I would say about 95% of our time so far in our own backyard, uh, being fortunate enough to have quite a diverse opportunities in BC alone. It's taken us a bit of time to look at all these different locations uh, and have clients purchase in all these different locations as well and start to experience firsthand what these markets are like. But uh, working with enough clients, you start to hear feedback on and their thoughts on where they're purchasing their next pieces of real estate. 
Um, and those two spots that we've heard a lot from Canadian investors so far have been Tulum, the first one we took a look at, uh, which is situated right beside Playa del Carmen and Cancun in uh, Mexico. And then the following one, which is the basically the newest one we've looked at, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, um, being lower cost in the United States as well. So those are the two markets we're looking at. We'll continue to look at additional markets just so our clients have more opportunities. Um, and that's probably the biggest reason. So Mexico, let's start there, right there because you know ever since 2020 occurred, people could work remotely, and uh, obviously with the the changing political climates and and uh, consumer sentiments around living in certain countries, namely Canada in this case, but now more than ever, I'm seeing people move out of the country and not just move out of the country. Uh, we get a lot of inquiries, in particular, you know, from like I said, the last two years of folks saying, okay, how do I buy? and own in Mexico. I'd like to live there six months out of the year. Or I, you know, I got interested because I have a friend who bought a property down there and they're doing short-term rentals. And what does that look like? I'd love to know just generally speaking, and again, this is just your observations, so nobody's gonna hold you to it, but <laughs> just generally speaking, what have been your initial observations of the Mexico market in the way that running or owning um, a rental property is different than here uh, for the from the outset. So Mexico, when we were originally going down there, it was the intention that clients would be looking to purchase. And I'm not going to define the entire Mexico because every market in Mexico is different, right? And there are markets that are probably very different. Uh, some of them like PV, Puerto Vallarta, Cabo, San Lucas, right? Those are the markets which we are to look at next. So just talking about Tulum specifically, we were originally going down there to explore as an opportunity strictly an investment potentially with a better ROI than uh, certain markets in BC. Now, from what we could see, that doesn't seem to hold up yet. But to answer your question of, hey, I want to live there six months a year, it's perfect for that. The barrier to entry in terms of purchase price is significantly lower. In fact, the purchase price for a lot of units down there would be less than just a down payment for a home in Vancouver. Uh, and it kind of ties in hand in hand of what we were mentioning, where we're looking to support clients with their principal residence here in, in Vancouver, is if you're looking to purchase a place in Tulum for a place to live a portion of the year as you work remotely, and then come back to Vancouver and still do short-term rentals with your Tulum property, it seems like a good opportunity down there. Especially when you can do the same thing with your Vancouver home, when you can do short-term rentals when you're gone there, which is one of the strongest short-term rental markets revenue-wise that I've seen and anywhere I've explored yet. Sorry, which market was the strongest that you mentioned? Vancouver. So Vancouver in terms of doing the short-term rentals while you're away in Tulum, Cancun. Cancun is dominated by the hotel industry, right? It's it's there's a there's an island somewhat of just every single hotel. So most people end up staying there. But if you go down a little bit towards Playa uh and or uh Tulum, right, which is getting a lot of uh, quite a big reputation right now. Purchase prices for a condo down there. If you're buying pre-sale, it's around sixty to eighty thousand U.S. dollars for a studio uh, or one bed, and upwards to at most one hundred thousand dollars. That's interesting to hear. So obviously, the price points, as you mentioned, you can get in for a down payment on a townhouse in in the Fraser Valley in the Vancouver area, or or on the island for that matter. You had mentioned that there were some primary considerations that, and again, there's different markets that we have to look at here, but there are some primary concerns or uh, considerations if you're looking at doing uh, property management in these places, in these cities, Mexico, where where tenancy is very different and how you go about that. 
Um, any thoughts or feedback on just how it works from a tenancy perspective in these different regions that you reviewed when compared to, say, um, someone in British Columbia? So I think when I was referring to tenancies, the thing is with Mexico, when you're, uh, when, when you're purchasing a place as a foreigner, you can't get the traditional mortgage as, as you could in BC, right? The, the, the avenues down there, at least of what we've explored so far, seems to be through private lenders at an incredibly high interest rate uh, at a much shorter time span as well. Um, now, I am not as versed on how it works for uh, Mexican residents purchasing places, but it's a, it's a more unique structure down there where they have, and I, I can't even begin to explain it, but they have this credit system where you get credits from the government that you can use towards purchasing properties. So they, their, their avenue is, they don't have the same sort of avenues, right? So when we were looking down there, most of our clients were purchasing the entire thing out in, in cash. There are other options that others are doing now where they're purchasing into the equity of buildings. So developers will build the building, maintain ownership, and then sell off portions of it. And then they'll do almost like a dividend split of any profits from the development. But the the ROI that they were promising was something like 11 to 12%. So it, it traditionally wasn't that high anyways. And I don't think you also got access to the development. So they were, in my opinion, they were struggling to sell that. Uh, and that's why they were asking us to sell to our clients. But if you're looking to travel for six months of the year and you go down to Tulum, it, it is a good option to purchase. One thing to keep in mind, though, with Mexican law is that you are not allowed to purchase on the beach. There's an old law saying that you can't purchase on the beach because of risk of invasion, right? If someone purchased enough units on the beach, it would be a clear avenue in. Uh, obviously, somewhat possibly outdated of a law. Um, but if you're looking to purchase and be on the beach, that's it's not an option for you. Uh, as far as I'm aware here. So go down, explore the area. If you like Tulum, you want to live somewhere six months of the year and Airbnb at the other portion uh, and, and see revenue from that, it's a good opportunity. Interesting to hear about the no no buying on the beach. Uh, did not know about that uh, and owning that. Certainly there are some financial considerations and for the most part, we see folks that are buying uh, real estate in Mexico actually using their home equity line of credit or refinancing and taking a mortgage out on one of their properties and using that to buy uh, their Mexico Mexico properties. That's what we've seen uh, traditionally people do. So, you know, having had a chance to look at, again, these different sub-markets that you've been to, so it was Tulum, Cancun, Mexico City. Um, I don't know if you've been on the West Coast at all at this point. No. No, not spent much time over there. And I think a lot of folks will be interested. So I'd love to circle back and see what you learned on the West Coast at, at some point right there. Is it is it clear fair to say that the primary um, uh, opportunities in these markets are short-term rentals and not so much in the mid-term, long-term range? Or am I incorrect in assuming that? I would say the short-term rentals would be the primary option. Most people uh, stray away from short-term rentals either because there's just too much saturation in the market. So there's no stability. Uh, or primarily, I've noticed regulation. So the regulation down there doesn't prohibit it because they're so reliant on tourism. The long-term rental side is is actually, it's, it's they do have restrictions over there with tenancies that make it less in favor for the landlords, not as much as BC necessarily, but short-term rentals have hotel restrictions, meaning that you, are, you own the property, you can essentially do anything you want, you retain ownership of it, uh, and the revenue will be higher. Tulum though does have very seasonal demand where we had one client come on in the market and he came on in the worst time of the year uh, and we had his place very, very affordable. He didn't get a booking for 30 days. Um, so it's not like Vancouver where you've got millions of people coming in, uh, very limited supply. So no matter what time of the year, no matter what day you put it up, 
you will have someone looking to book that property. Let's circle back from Mexico because uh, the, the other we've only got so much time and we want to talk about the second submarket that you've uh, mentioned exploring there, which is uh, Scottsdale. Now, uh, we've, obviously, Scottsdale is nothing new to folks in the Vancouver region. 15 uh, years ago, it was a really popular buy location down in Arizona, obviously Palm Springs as well. Uh, right before, you know, obviously 2008 occurred and uh, between 2009 to 2012, I know a lot of people who ended up purchasing real estate at a discount in those particular markets. And so uh, things kind of went quiet for, I think, a few years there for a variety of reasons. And it's back and it's hot and we're seeing people market it, market buying in the U.S. And, and, and obviously doing short term rentals, which there's pros and cons with that as well. So from an observational perspective here, again, looking at the Scottsdale market, Charles, what are some of the biggest, uh, I guess, uh, opportunities? And then conversely speaking, the biggest downsides or drawbacks that people need to be hyper aware of from a from a ownership and a property management perspective, maybe not to do with financing, but just just renting out properties, I'd say the biggest opportunity we've seen so far would be lower cost of entry. However, one of the big things we're looking at, and we'll touch on in a second when we move to the BC market is saturation in the market. Um, so back in 2019, there was about 4,000 Airbnb rentals in Scottsdale. Currently, we're sitting almost at about 8,000. So in a short period of time, the number of competition has doubled, um, which is a big, which is a big focus is, is, as I just mentioned about five minutes ago, saturation and regulation are the biggest killers. Now, another thing to keep an eye out for Scottsdale is it gets really hot. So it's a big, you mentioned it's popular for about 15 years. A lot of snowbirds will purchase properties. Uh, Canadian snowbirds will purchase properties in Scottsdale. Uh, in terms of Airbnb rentals, you're looking to, you're basically making sure you need a pool in the property if you're going to get consistently booked, which is important if you're looking, especially with the saturation going up and doubling out of properties. So let's touch on that for a second there, because exactly to your point, it, it certainly seemed like the market in the last one year to, to two years alone has become, as you mentioned, saturated. Go look up Airbnb and look up uh, anything in the Scottsdale area. So one of the biggest concerns that people should have if they're buying into a market that is, in this case, what, like a six month a year kind of market uh, sort of situation for a lot of people is, A, can I make the money back in six months that I really need to make in 12? Because a lot of projections will provide you with, here's your monthly revenue, but you can't guarantee monthly revenue in a vacation location for 12 months, as you mentioned, right? And then B, like, you mentioned saturation clearly. So are there any concerns over what the cities uh, may do in terms of limiting uh, your ability to do these short-term rentals or for a period of time? Or just generally speaking, is it are we just trending to a point where there's just going to be uh, less demand because there's so much supply of these types of properties? Is that a major concern? Actually, funnily enough, it's it's ne so far as I've noticed, it's never two. It's one or the other. So Vancouver, it's regulation that makes it limited. Arizona has a state law, and the I'll dive into a second, but Arizona has a state law that prohibits anyone from regulating short-term rentals. So no city can actually put in regulations to stop you doing this. Um, one of the big things, though, is that homeowner associations can put in restrictions, but it is just because of the fact that the whole state does favor that you are coming in here purchasing a property, an investment property, strictly for short-term rentals with no purpose to use it. Uh, investors are going to flock towards that. And that's when we start to see saturation. So just balancing that out and, and making sure that even if your numbers do go down, let's say 10, 15% due to saturation, it's still a good investment. That's just one thing to keep an eye out for. Interesting. Uh, no, that's, that's very good feedback here. Like you said, government regulation or supply 
but there's obvious reasons if the government regulation is in place, then you're just never going to see that many people invest in those uh, areas and communities. Um, let's talk about, I guess, so we've talked about the, the, the opportunity. Obviously, there's a lot of people vacationing there, a lot of snowbirds, a lot of people going down there. Uh, the drawback is the amount of supply that's coming on, on board. Um, are there any concerns at this point right now? I mean, getting into the uh, middle half of 2022 with prices, price points having increased on a lot of these properties, are people still doing well financially speaking? And do you have any ideas to what the numbers are if someone was to buy a property today compared to six or 12 months ago where we're seeing a lot of performance from? Actually, I don't know the increase in the past 12 months, but I will say that I know that individuals that are really interested in this cross-border purchasing have slowed down their efforts due to increasing interest rates in the States. Right, right. Okay, yes. So the correlation, obviously, with higher interest rates, lower price points, a question mark as to when, and that's no different than the market here in Canada. And I won't make you go too deep into the ins and outs as to what price points will look like in Scottsdale or or Vancouver in the next few months here. But uh, interesting to hear nonetheless that you're seeing a little bit less of that, which could obviously regulate the market and, and put um, a little bit of a less concern in regards to having saturation, as you mentioned before. So um, circling back, I mean, Scottsdale, Mexico, a lot of people are going to be interested in hearing about these markets and what's going on. We can talk to folks at a later time. But let's circle back to British Columbia back here at home. You've mentioned this a few times. And one of the things that you talked about, you know, here in British Columbia is this idea of a vacation swap strategy. Before we talk about particular submarkets here in, in the lower mainland or BC or Vancouver Island is um, this this vacation swap idea. I'd love to know, just generally speaking, like, is this is this a common occurrence? Is this something that you're hearing a lot of? And, and specifically, can you explain what this is so that people understand exactly what we're talking about here? We call it the part time model where individuals will travel, uh, go remote for a portion of their year. This is blowing up right now. Um, we get calls probably about once every two days from someone with some pretty interesting story saying, I'm traveling to Greece for six months with the family. Uh, my, my company's fully remote, so I'm going to live in the Caribbean right now. Uh, and there's hordes of people doing this now. And the fantastic thing about Vancouver is that we could easily add on another 7,000 Airbnbs and not hit market saturation, uh, given, and that's taking into fact the number of Airbnbs we lost back in 2019. And in 2019, we were very, very booked. Uh, we had higher occupancies than we have right now. Now, keep in mind that the Canadian border does still have restrictions with entering the country with being unvaccinated and being the fact that our neighbors in, in, in the South, right, in, uh, in the States, quite a big portion of them are not vaccinated. That does decrease the number of travel. However, um, the supply has dropped so much in Vancouver that we are seeing record numbers right now. So this whole part-time model, if you're traveling three months of the year, six months of the year, and this could be anywhere, it doesn't have to be Vancouver, right? It's anywhere in the lower mainland, because even markets like Surrey, Langley, uh, they get such a demand in the summertime from tourism, but the rest of the year, they, they see a high, high level of demand from individuals relocating there, needing a home to stay for two to three weeks, maybe a month while they find somewhere to purchase, or there's a huge... Just due to the fact that these markets are so reliant on people immigrating to them, naturally they'll have families that located outside of the market, right? So they're having family members come visit them in the less busy season because staying in a one-bedroom home in Surrey in the peak season could cost you about $200 per night, but half the price in October and the weather's not that bad in October, right? So overall, we do see quite a demand uh, that stabilizes year-round with a big peak in summertime. Um, so if you're looking to travel summertime you'll be able to rent your place for probably about two and a half times a traditional long-term rental 
and you don't have to commit to a tenancy agreement as well. So when you come back from that vacation, you can go right back to your home. Okay, so there must be some drawbacks of doing that too, some things that people have to look out for. Uh, maybe, you know, from an ownership perspective, obviously our homes, we have everything that's ours in it, goods and, and uh, photos and things like that. Like, if someone's planning to do this, do they need to do a complete overall overhaul of their home and, and get rid of all their photos and, and lock up all their goods? Or, or like, typically, what do you see people do? Just logistically speaking, I'm just curious. We do recommend, uh, you don't have to get rid of the photos, we do recommend it because it's for guests, they don't want to be in your space necessarily. Although the best Airbnbs are homes, right? Those places that people purchase and put IKEA furniture in there, they don't nearly do as well. And the difference between the top 10% of Airbnbs and the top 25% revenue-wise is about 20 to 30% difference. Uh, and that's the same type of property, right? That's not comparing a four bed to a one bed. So if you're going to travel away, I would recommend just having maybe one of the bedrooms with, with the items being locked away. Uh, and that's only if you're doing one month. If you're doing three, four, five, six months away, that's going to be a very, very expensive storage unit because that additional bedroom could be generating you quite additional revenue. Um, and just to give some numbers, just so we understand what we're talking about here, if you are a family guy, you have a four-bedroom home, let's say it's in Vancouver and you're traveling June, July, August, September, uh, those four months, you could be generating about twenty dollars to $25,000 a month in revenue from a short-term rental. Now, numbers in Surrey, still generally about twelve, eighteen thousand dollars per month for a larger home. Uh, and if you have a pool or nice amenities right, that number will just go up from there. So overall, I would say if you're going away for a good period of time, definitely lock away your items. Any closet items, 100% lock that away. Any valuables, lock that away. In terms of damage to the property, one thing that's really fortunate about the Airbnb model is that Airbnb has a $1 million insurance policy. So any damage, you're actually protected while you're away. Okay, well that's good to know. So pretty much what we assume there, which is hide your hide your obviously family photos. Uh, as you mentioned from a furniture perspective, really interesting feedback regarding the whole IKEA furniture thing. Why is that? They know. They I know. mean, if, if they come and they stay in your property and it feels like you don't really care that much. Um, I mean, think about it. it. It's hard to stay in. If you're staying in Joe's property, right? And this is Joe's family home. Uh, you're understanding because that's what Airbnb was built on. It was built on people sharing their homes. So you're taking part in that community. So you'll understand to give a better review. If anything goes wrong and things always go wrong, you'll be more understanding because you're staying in someone's property, they're opening up their home. But when something goes wrong in a hotel, the first thing you do is you lodge a complaint, you ask if you can get a bit of a refund, right? And if you're staying in an, an IKEA cookie cutter home, which feels like someone hasn't put much care into it, they're going to understand that and give you that same uh, uh, that same feeling. Uh, interesting. Okay. Cool. I, I I didn't know that. So that's super interesting feedback. So um, yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that because you know when you know it's a true Airbnb, first of all, like the furniture is typically not very comfortable. So start there, uh, and it's usually very cold and um, just generally speaking, not somewhere that you want to stay very long. Uh, versus, as you mentioned, I've also in the past like. I think I started using it Airbnbs back in 2015 or something, 14, maybe something like that. One of their early years I had done in San Francisco, and you're right, it was in at, at somebody's place down in San Francisco, and it definitely felt like their home, and they cared for it, and you definitely had a different mentality around it. So interesting to fee, uh, feedback on that. Okay, let's circle back to British Columbia. So uh, we're going to talk opportunities and observations in these markets here, what's happening. So I mean, obviously, you started already talking about Kelowna, so I think we'll circle back there. I mean, it's a hot, a hot topic right now. I mean, it has been for two years since COVID happened, 2020. Again, 
people made better or different decisions on where they work. They moved to the island, they moved to the interior. Uh, but obviously, Kelowna is a, a hot conversation because it's just been a big uh, growing city in terms of the interior. And it is the primary city in, in BC's interior for both uh, people coming from Alberta and people come from, coming from Vancouver and then even people coming from the east in Ontario as well. So what's happening up there from a rental perspective and what, uh, I guess, should people be A, uh, staying away from and what should they be looking for right now? Kelowna's market was the very, one of the few that we saw where the rates went up in COVID. Uh, and that's because people were traveling in their backyard. Another one would be Euclid up by Tofino. Um, one thing to keep an eye out for in Kelowna is that we are seeing a lot of new rentals on the short-term side come into the rental pool. So Kelowna has, and, and this is interesting spots, is that Kelowna has a, a citywide regulation that is adjustable based on uh, zoning. So the citywide regulation is that if you're looking to do a short-term rental, it has to be a principal residence, right? So that's actually funny because before we were talking about how there's never one of the two. So there's, there's a little options for both here is that the average person cannot just put on their investment property unless it's zoned in a certain way. So there's new buildings that are being built though that are purposed for short-term rentals. And the number of buildings that are being built for this is actually limited. As, as far as I know, they're only doing a certain number of these. An example of that would be the newly built Brooklyn building. So this is a C7 designation, meaning that you can do short-term rentals without it being a principal residence. So we had clients purchasing multiple properties in there. Um, however, one thing to note is that rates, as what we're seeing right now, are, and this may adjust next year, because this year you don't want to travel in your backyard as much uh, due to the fact that we are seeing heat waves we can travel abroad for the first time in, in, in years. So that pent up demand is going to take people away. Um, but there's also an additional supply of about a thousand units, if I remember correctly. Now, Kelowna doesn't have that many units overall. In fact, in 2019, they had a thousand and now we have 2000. So the port, the saturation of the market is going up. Now that doesn't mean it's not a good investment. That just means that when you're using the numbers of 2021 or 2019, you have to take, an effect, uh, take into account that rates will go down because, again, more places to book, less people going. But I think we may see a correction coming into the following year as well. Okay, when you say correction, you mean more demand and, and the supply levels will have been just maintained similar to where they are right now or something different? I think supply levels will continue to go up, but I think that people are not as keen to travel to Kelowna this year as much as they would in, in, in during COVID times because they can go elsewhere. Uh, now, that's not to say that people are not traveling to Kelowna as much. Um, however, we definitely have seen lower occupancy this year than last year, uh, at least looking at market trends as well. And this is taking into account uh, a lot of different perspectives here, using AirDNA, using our own portfolio, uh, working with clients actually who have transitioned from other property managements who are seeing the similar thing, uh, and working with a revenue manager from the Hilton Group as well. So overall, it is a decline there. However, it's mostly because people can actually go elsewhere, including myself in Mexico, for example. Okay, so that's interesting feedback. Again, people traveling, not surprising. Uh, traveling out of the country means they're traveling less internally. So you mentioned Euclid, you mentioned, uh, I think, Nanaimo before. Nanaimo is perhaps not so much a vacation destination, but Euclid is uh, on the um, west coast of Vancouver Island. And does it, do we have the same feedback in those areas as we have had in, in the interior? Actually, no, Euclid's my favorite market so far that I've, I've seen numbers wise. Uh, it's, and I can even bring up a specific opportunity that we were looking at. 
uh, actually one of our clients purchased. So Euclid's proposed new bylaws, which will benefit investor landlords, in my opinion. So basically, the new bylaws are that residential areas are being limited to sh limited with short-term rentals, meaning that uh, commercial properties, built properties that are built to be vacation rentals, which are owned by individual investor landlords, uh, they're going to benefit because now the saturation will go down. Euclid is nowhere near saturated anyways. Um, the reason that they're doing this is because it's, it's impossible to find a long-term rental in Euclid. Uh, in fact, there's just not enough staffing actually to take on. Uh, take, I mean, even hotels have to limit the number of bookings they have. Restaurants can't open up to full capacity. Uh, it's definitely a problem that they're tackling over there. But we, we manage a resort called the Terrace Beach Resort. Now, that's 21 units right on the beach right there. Uh, and those, that's a, that's a designation, a commercial designation place. So, uh, sold as a commercial, uh, commercial designation as well. So when you're purchasing these places, right, these are strictly vacation rentals, right? They subject to GST when purchasing them as well. Um, and these, these are the type of places that will benefit because now there are less short term rentals. Now, one thing to keep in mind with, with the off season of Euclid is that places right on the ocean front will not see much of a drop in the off season because people go to Euclid to uh, go storm watching uh, and being right by the ocean, you will see continuous demand. However, if you're off the ocean, demand will drop. But if we start to see a decline with the number of short-term rentals, more affordable units actually might be stronger now going into the following year. Okay. If this is a proposal in the bylaw so far. So markets like in this case, Euclid is a destination that people are going to go to, or you think they're going to regardless as to COVID or not having COVID. Uh, although, like you mentioned, and, and seasonality is probably less of a concern there than, than maybe some markets. A, a markets like uh, Kelowna and the interior are becoming less popular. Um, between the two of those is the primary reason that you're seeing less uh, people booking in a place like Kelowna as an example. Is that primarily because it is a city and they're not booking on the beach and it's maybe not as different from home is there is there some other reason just out of curiosity for what you're saying is it just pure saturation in the market what else could there be Kelowna the yeah Kelowna not as many people I mean quantity wise I'd say it, it's not quantity not as many people go more people definitely go to Kelowna than Euclid Euclid has way less rentals as well um, but the average rental and this is just numbers from from the market right the average rental in July sits around six thousand dollars in January, it's sub 2000. So there's a massive drop in that off season. A lot of individuals will do student rentals in the off season. Um, but if you're purchasing in a, and we're, we're new at the Kelowna market, right? And something that we'll continue to explore as we enter this off season. But if you're purchasing in a newer building like the Brooklyn, the Aqua, right? You should be sitting at one of the higher end places uh, and be performing performing at one of the top one beds, two beds, whatever you purchase. So even if you go into this off season, one thing I like to mention is that any of these markets, any of these Canadian cities, there's always enough people traveling there for your place to be booked year round. It's just that this competition, just like most markets, right? So if you consider the top of that competition, you should have a strong rental throughout the year. But if you're purchasing a place, let's say, and let's go back to this Ikea conversation. If you're purchasing a place in the Brooklyn, uh, and you have individuals who have spent quite a bit furnishing their place, had an interior designer come through and put a lot of effort into their home, and you're priced at a $10 difference, people are going to spend $10 more to stay at that property. You're going to have to drop your rates quite a bit to be competitive with them. 
but the problem is in the off season people are already dropping their rates okay no that's a good feedback and uh i guess where i want to take that from here is that you know obviously uh we just talked about everywhere from mexico to the to you know scottsdale arizona to Kelowna to euclid and vancouver and everywhere in between and I think this is where we circle back to obviously the platform and data-based advice and data-driven decisions. You know, we have a lot of people that reach out to us that are looking to invest into real estate. And, and to be frank, most of the folks, Charles, that we work with are not looking to buy 20, 30, 40 rentals. They're looking to have maybe one, two, three properties and it's a retirement plan um, or it's helping them fund, uh, you know, as you mentioned, vacations. It's helping them fund their, their kids' education. Like there's a lot of great opportunities in real estate from an investment perspective and most of these folks don't have the time to do this all day, every day. One of their biggest challenges is decisions based on data versus what some realtor says or what the emotions say or the news. And, you know, even in what we do every day, we see so many different opportunities, but it's even difficult for us. Like I can't I can't see what you're seeing all day long. So talk about like obviously, you know, your platform from a perspective of how how being able to see all this information has helped you advise clients, because I understand that you're not going to advise them on what to buy. But it, it can provide context as to what's going on. How does how does your platform do that exactly? Yeah, I like the way that you put that. So we there's definitely multiple ways to purchase a property, and emotional decisions are one of them. And that's a, I think that's strong in buying a family home. Something that we'll never never enter and never be able to help with, uh, because we just provide the data to help you make these decisions. So right now, what the platform can do is if you're looking to purchase a property. You can basically pick any property on the market right now and we can put that into an instant pro forma. And what that'll do is it'll pull data from the short term market, uh, pulling, uh, scraping the data from every single Airbnb listing. Um, and it'll take it from the long term market, pulling the data from Zumper. And this will be able to put this into a 12 month and five year pro forma for you uh, with your realtor, which includes purchase price, down payment, interest rate. And that'll show you over a period of time is what's your cash flow, what's the return on the investment, what's your net operating income, um, what's the uh, what's the appreciation of that property, right? What's the profit when sold? And that'll make, allow you to make decisions um, just based on the data. However, what you mentioned is is entirely true: is that most investors that are purchasing two, three, four properties, right? They have full time jobs, they have family commitments. They don't have time necessarily, and it takes it takes some individuals a lot of time to find these properties. Uh, so the next step in this software is that it'll find the opportunities for you. What that exactly means is that any listing that ever goes live in the MLS, it'll run that through the pro forma tool that we already have, and then show you those opportunities and send that to you as well. And that's why we're working here with Thrive, where we'll figure out what your existing portfolio it is what sort of qualifications you have to make sure that the opportunities we're sending you are opportunities that are right for you as well. That's super helpful. And like, again, we didn't want to make this episode about, you know, why, why just host genius, because I think people can, you know, obviously go and check it out afterwards. And, and, you know, our partnership with you says a lot on its own, like the fact that you chose to partner with us and we chose to partner with you as a, as a company says a lot about obviously the direction that you guys are going, which is pretty neat. Um, so those folks that are interested in, in host genius, definitely reach out to us through the podcast and, and we'll, we'll certainly, um, uh, help make a, a connection for you guys and, and make sure it's worth your while if you're interested in, 
in working with HG and finding out what they're all about. So, uh, Charles, I, I want to circle back. We're going to post that information below. But before we end the show here, I, I want to talk about a few things, which is the why now. I mean, again, why why are, should be people be talking about investment properties now? Why should they be looking at rental properties now? You know, when we always talk about it, when when the fish are swimming that way, we're going to swim the opposite direction. And but the thing about it is, like, human nature is crazy. Like, it, it, it like everything is telling you don't do it right now like don't rates are up price are down should i wait let's let's you know wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and see what happens but obviously inevitably speaking um we don't know when the timing will be right we just know when the time is right you do know what i mean by that like we know we're in the right place right time we can qualify we know what opportunities are available maybe we don't buy at the absolute bottom but we can get pretty darn close to it especially given certain markets so let's talk a little bit about why now makes sense with uh, the industry in a little bit of a, a, a adjustment from where it was six to 12 months ago of the fever. Uh, maybe you can kind of give us an insight as to what you guys are seeing and, and what you're telling your potential uh, 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 clients who own homes. I'd say the biggest thing that we're seeing right now with why investor landlords are currently looking for new opportunities and the difference we're seeing in the market, people are looking less at opportunities that are putting them in a cash flow negative op option right now. Um, so traditionally, if you're buying a condo, in Vancouver, uh, you'll probably be losing $600 a month, let's say, uh, on a traditional long-term rental. However, uh, we're seeing a lot of clients looking at this new option I mentioned, which is a mid-term rental. So they're purchasing properties at a decreased cost. Uh, and just due to the fact that Canada has one of the most favorable immigration policies, uh, at least in North America uh, and in any market we've seen, the immigration market is so strong that this midterm rental where you're renting the people for a one month, two month period, while someone's looking for a home at about a 50 to 60% increase, you can actually still purchase properties and be cash flow positive at this opportunity. So we're seeing a, a big heavy interest in that. Uh, individuals are looking to drop their costs as well. Uh, and that's why I think we're seeing a big shift from individuals using long term property managers, paying them 200 $250 a month just to accept the rent and put it into that bank account. Uh, and I think people will start to move to software solutions where it does all that for you because you mentioned these most individual landlords do have day jobs and don't have time to be a full-time property manager for their properties. Um, those, are the big, those are the big focuses we're seeing right now. Um, in terms of why people should buy properties right now, I mean, I think I've seen most of your videos on this and, and you can have some feedback in, in the interest rates and why people should purchase now. As I mentioned right off the bat, when we've seen interest rates, historically speaking, rise, we see demand go down. Um, you know, again, I mentioned right off the bat that I don't know if we're near the quote unquote bottom from a price point perspective, but I know that we're substantially lower than where we were before. And the the most uh, interesting thing is the psychological uh, considerations, because those are the wild cards that we don't know what will happen. Um, there's a period of time, typically, where someone will keep their home on the market and list it and then eventually drop the price point. But if they're not motivated by certain like requirements to sell, they will eventually remove their home from the market. So what we've seen recently is a surplus of real estate on the market and an absolute reduction in the amount of buyers. And there's a variety of reasons. Rates gone up, but you mentioned summer. People are on vacation. People are spending money in Mex spending money in not just Mexico, but all, you know wherever, all sorts of places in Europe and so forth. And they're traveling. And in addition to that, there's fear. And when there's fear, people hold off. So my general feedback and thoughts are: obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in the next three months here with the Bank of Canada and rates and so forth. But there's going to be a point at which people decide to 
pull those homes back off the market, and guess what? You're gonna then have a reduced amount of supply. And supply is the primary reason why house prices continue to go up. There was never a chance in heck that we were gonna go up at the rates that we did for the, the, the timeline that we did. The last two years was not sustainable. That should have taken five years to get to that point, but it did it in two years. And so there was always going to be some point, a little bit of a, I don't know if price correction is the right word, but maybe a softening could be a better word here. So the question mark becomes obviously, at what point do those people decide not to sell their home and then demand starts to go up because people say, screw it, I'm not waiting anymore, and then supply gets reduced and price points then start to rise. And that's where we don't know the answer to. I always tell people the same thing is the right time is the right time for you. There's certain opportunities that you can take advantage of, Charles. Like example would be someone who's obviously selling and upsizing. But my, my biggest opportunity to what you just mentioned right there is I, we're starting to see those folks that have those Kelowna, Brooklyn condos and others say, you know what, I bought it for 350, I saw my neighbor sell for 600, but I could probably let it go for 500 and be okay with that. You would not have seen that six months ago. Now you're seeing that. So if that $500,000 matches your budget, why wait any longer? Because you can start earning some income on those types of properties right now. Yeah. I don't know if that obviously follows suit with what you guys are seeing in your space, but I wanna do a little recap here on a couple of key notes that uh, that we touched on there, Charles. And I mean, the first and most important one was uh, obviously just an understanding of the different markets and how valuable it is to have the ability to see the data from, as you mentioned, a Mexico, a Scottsdale, a Kelowna versus a Eucalypt. And you know how the neat, neat, neat consideration there with Host Genius actually being able to provide a dashboard and see not only you know how these different communities are doing, and in your case, obviously behind the scenes seeing everything, but making data-based decisions and not emotional-based decisions to me is really important. Um, the second thing that you kind of touched on that was really key for me was this uh, vacation swapping. What did you call that again? Was that what you called it? Something else? Part-time host. I love that. So you're seeing people move away for three, four, five, six months and then rent out their home for the same period of time, right? People are going nomadic. So they're moving around. So there's a unique opportunity that if you're someone who's like, hey, I got this beautiful home um, and I wanna go travel for a few months, you know, again, they could contact someone like you, get it rented out or, or on a short-term, I guess, lease agreement with Host Genius and then go find a different uh, property and basically trade locations for a period of time. That's a cool opportunity that I don't think a lot of people have really thought about recently. Um, and then I think over and above that, looking at, again, as you mentioned, opportunities that it appears that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about. How many people call you and say they want to buy New Clulet? Well, the realtor last year that we work with, New Clulet sold 140 properties, um, wow. primarily vacation rental purposes. Uh, mm -hmm. One of our clients purchased uh, a triplex in the Terrace Beach Resort, right? So the, the type of opportunities you see there, I'm really happy about it. That they're very cash flow positive. Now, they, it is high maintenance costs out there because, again, it's, it's to put it bluntly, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and that's the reason why it's such a popular spot. Uh, the nearest city is Nanaimo, which is quite a many drives away, hours. Um, so purchase prices up there. If you're trying to buy a triplex, you can get one for about two, $2.4 uh, but revenue-wise, you're looking at about one eighty to two hundred thousand dollars a year. So the options out there are quite, quite, uh, quite good. And one thing to keep an eye out for is when you're getting into these different markets that are more remote. Property management fees are generally higher than the urban urban areas because there's less competition. So traditionally, you it, for example, and Tofino, we're seeing rates of 30, 40, 50 percent on the management. Now we don't charge anywhere near that. Obviously, it's it's about half of that. Uh, but if you're looking at options that Hoshinius is not in, that's vacation dependent, uh, take a look at the rates as well. The largest vacation rental management in the world, Vacasa, only targets vacation spots, vacation destinations, and they charge about 
which is something to definitely keep in mind when you're losing about a third of your income just to the manager. Wow, that's massive. That's massive. So again, I think knowing your numbers, but knowing your different options and opportunities, as we mentioned, is huge. So a lot of good information here, Charles. Any other parting words, my friend, before we let you get back to your day? I mean, I think we covered mostly everything. All right. Rock on, man. We'll talk to you next time then. Thanks, Alex.